Now, I, I don't know about y'all, but um, oftentimes um, in, in life, um, I don't recognize what God is doing in the moment. Are y'all that way? Uh, I mean, it's not like uh, I get lightning bolts all the time or emails from God or it's really clear what's going on. But, but in our lives, it is often in looking back on what has happened that we are able to say, oh, wow, look at, look at how God was, was working in the midst of, of this situation. Look at how God was, was at work and guiding and, and nudging and prodding um, and uh, putting things together. Um, uh, that's uh, um, how it often is in our lives. I can think of many stories uh, in Deb and our lives where uh, we have, have just uh, looked back on certain moves or certain decisions that we have made, which in the moment we would not have said um, God was even at work or even recognized it, but in looking back, we are able to see how uh, we have been blessed by people and we have been able to bless people because we have sought to live faithfully, trusting in God's presence. Uh, well, t- today's story is one of the uh, most wonderful stories, I think, in, in Scripture. Um, it is one of my uh, favorite stories because it reminds us that God is at work in all things. And it's a story that comes from Genesis um, 37 through 50. And so I'm going to read chapters 37 through 50. Okay, maybe not. Huh? Go ahead, right? Good deal. Uh, um, I'm going to read some passages, and I'm going to paraphrase the rest. And it's your responsibility to go home and to read the rest of it to make sure I paraphrased it right. How's that? Does that work? And then if I got it wrong, you let me know, okay? Um, and and you, you've got Bibles there if you want. I guess you could open up your Bibles as I go through this. And if I get something wrong, you can raise your hand and straighten me out. Um, Deb's good at that, so I don't know why y'all shouldn't try that. She still loves me. Um, the story begins, this story begins, uh, it, it's the story of Joseph. Um, and, and actually, the story begins a little bit from where we're going to pick it up. But you remember last week we talked about Jacob. Um, and, and Jacob's got 12 sons. Okay, and, and you, you remember as part of last week, I told you there was this, uh, uh, this chapter where we're told about the birth of all of Jacob's sons. Now, I don't think they happened in that short a frame of time. Uh, but we are told that, that Jacob, he had uh, six sons by Leah. Um, he had two by Zilpha, two by um, uh, Bilpha, and two by Rachel. And, and we remember Rachel was his chosen wife, right? You remember that? Rachel was the woman who he w- fell in love with, who he wanted to marry, but he was tricked and ended up marrying Leah. And, and then we had this competition to have all of these children. Um, and so the story begins uh, with the birth of, of these uh, 12 children of Jacob. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter uh, 37. Um, and I'm going to read from uh, verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, where his father was an immigrant. Uh, that would be Isaac, right? This is the account of Jacob's descendants. Joseph was 17 years old and tended the flock with his brothers. 
while he was helping the sons of Bila and Zilpha, his father's wives, Joseph told their father unflattering things about them. So Joseph was a tattletale, apparently. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old, and Jacob had made for him a long robe. When his brothers saw this, their father, that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. Joseph had a dream. You know, if that's not enough, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. Because he said to them, listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk got up and stood upright while your stalks gathered around and bowed down to my stalk. His brothers said to him, will you really be our king and rule over us? And so they hated him even more because of the dreams he told. It goes on to tell how he had another dream and he told his parents. And so it seems that, that Joseph um, was a tattletale and somewhat of a brat. Yes? Um, he, he had these wonderful dreams of greatness, and he wanted to make sure that everybody knew about these dreams. And so he shared them with his brother. He enjoyed telling whoever in the family would hear uh, these dreams that he had, that, that one day they would all bow down to him, the 17-year-old brat. Um, and, um, it, you know, this better-than-thou attitude, um, it began to rub his brothers and sisters the wrong way. Now, y'all don't know anything about that, right? Any of you got brothers and sisters and how they can annoy you sometimes? Um, well, don't follow suit of Joseph's brothers and sisters, okay? Uh, but, but they were annoyed with Joseph. And so one day when Joseph was sent out to the field, they became so annoyed they decided... They were going to kill Joseph. They were going to commit cold-blooded murder because they hated him and were jealous. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound Cain and Abel all over again, right? Uh, so, so here's their plan. They're going to kill Joseph. Now, fortunately, one of the brothers, Reuben, the oldest son of Leah, um, he, he has some, some second thoughts on this. And so he says, let's just throw him in a pit. We'll just throw him in a pit and, and let him rot. Although Reuben's intent, it says, was to come back and rescue him. But as far as the other brothers knew, they were just going to throw him in a pit and let him rot in the pit. Well, along comes a caravan. And, and, and I guess, I don't know if Judah felt guilty, or if Judah felt guilty, another son of Jacob, is, if he felt guilty and like, man, we, we can't have this blood on our hands. Um, maybe here's a better option. We'll sell Joseph to this caravan uh, uh, of nomads who is coming through. And, and so he convinces them, and sure enough, uh, they pull him up out of the pit and they sell him to these folks. And, and so uh, we, we come to a point in the story, then when they go back to Jacob and, and they have this bloody cloth, I don't know, maybe it's his, his coat of many colors, they, they take this back covered in blood and tell Jacob that his, his favorite son has been mauled by animals. What a, what a wonderful family we have here. 
Um, I don't know about you, but read these stories in Genesis. I'm encouraged uh, that God uh, continues to work through a family like Jacob's family. It gives me hope uh, that, that God can work through me because I, I don't think we're quite that bad. Uh, but um, they fool uh, Jacob, and, and Jacob always seems to be on one end of deception or the other. Um, but, but in the meantime... Uh, Joseph finds himself down in Egypt. This, this caravan carries him down into uh, Egypt. A- and down in Egypt, he is uh, he's sold to Potiphar. And Potiphar happens to be a, a, big, uh, a big wig in Pharaoh's government. A- and so um, Joseph um, works underneath him and, and, and rises to influence and prominence. Um, by the things that he does and the way that he lives and, and just how he carries out the duties that he's given. He rises to prominence and things are looking good for Joseph again. But it's not long before trouble arises. Potiphar's wife, um, she kind of likes Joseph and so she begins to flirt with him and then she tries to uh, seduce him. Uh, but, but Joseph refuses. Joseph uh, flees from this temptation. Uh, but in the midst of fleeing, he leaves his cloak behind. And so Potiphar's wife, she grabs the cloak and she uses it to frame Joseph and, and tells Potiphar that Joseph had attacked her and that Joseph was trying to seduce her. And as a result, Potiphar tosses Joseph back in the dungeon. And so once again... Joseph finds himself in a pit, in a dark place, wondering what in the world is going on. Uh, and we're told that, that uh, uh, Joseph uh, continues to uh, uh, do what he does. And, and one day, um, uh, Joseph meets a couple of Pharaoh's ex-officials, a cupbearer and a baker. And he met them because they had this dream, and they're telling him about this dream. And apparently, we know that Jacob has his, or Joseph has his own dreams. Apparently, he's good at interpreting dreams, so he interprets the dreams for the cupbearer and for the baker. And it's uh, it's good news for the cupbearer. He tells him, "You'll be restored one day." And then he gets the cupbearer degree. But when you're restored, now don't forget me. Tell Pharaoh about me and how wonderful I am. Um, but for the baker, it's not so good news. For the baker, it means that the baker will be put to death. And indeed, uh, Joseph's interpretations of these dreams comes to be true. But the cupbearer, he forgets about Jacob or Joseph. He forgets about Joseph. Um, and he forgets all about Joseph. And so Joseph lingers in, in the prison doing his duty, uh, rising to some influence there, uh, but still a, a slave and a prisoner in the dungeons of Pharaoh. And then two years later, two years later, um, Pharaoh has a dream, and a light bulb goes off in the cupbearer's head, and he goes, hey, I know who can interpret your dream. I was supposed to tell you about this guy two years ago anyway, but there's this guy, Joseph, who can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh says, well, bring him up here. Nobody else has been able to interpret the dreams. And so he shares his dream with Joseph, and and Joseph interprets to him. And again, he says there's good news and there's bad news. 
Um, the bad news is there's going to be seven years of, uh, uh, of a really bad famine in the land. The good news is we've got seven years, to, you've got seven years to get ready for it. Well, Pharaoh hears this, and I guess, I guess he, he thinks of his dream, and it makes sense to him. And, 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 and Pharaoh looks at, at Joseph, and he says, you know, it, it seems like you've got some divine connection. So you know what? I'm going to put you in charge. You're in charge of getting us ready so that we can weather this uh, famine. And so uh, Joseph, indeed, he goes to work. He begins to store up grain. He begins to take all the steps that are necessary. He, he rises again to great prominence and influence. In fact, we're told later in the story that he is second only to Pharaoh. And when the famine hits, Egypt is prepared. Joseph is a rock star again. He's the hero of the story. He has saved Egypt. And the story not only says that, the story says all people of the earth were blessed. Does that ring like something we've heard before? Genesis chapter 12, the promise to Abraham that his descendants would multiply and that through him all peoples of the earth would be blessed? We see part of this promise being, that was made to Abraham of coming true in a place where we never anticipated it to come true. Joseph, in Egypt, prepared for the famine, um, has all of this grain available. And so when Egypt and all the land around becomes to come to, uh, uh, needs a food, they can come to Egypt and they can get food to sustain themselves through the famine. Well, now, meanwhile, back in Canaan, um, Jacob and the boys, um, they're beginning to experience the famine. And they've heard stories about there's food in Egypt. And so Jacob says, um, I need to send you all to Egypt to get us some food. And so sure enough, he, um, he sends his um, sons off uh, to get some food in Egypt. And they get there, and of course, everybody who needs grain, they have to come before Joseph. And so here the brothers come before Joseph. They don't know that it's Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I didn't know the rest of the story, I'd be saying, uh-oh, um, wonder if what has been dished out is going to come around, because that's how we do things, right? Um. Well, uh, we're told that Joseph seems to have compassion. Yeah, I see some of you like, uh, who, somebody over here I saw laughing about that. What comes around goes around. Is that how you treat your sisters or brothers? I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't get distracted like that. Uh, but um, it, it's, it, Joseph seems to show compassion, uh, and yet he does some things that uh, we're not really sure. If we didn't know the end of the story, we wouldn't be sure. Because it, it, it says that, well, he holds on to Simeon, and, and he says... Uh, I'll give you some food, uh, but I won't give you any more unless you come back with Benjamin. Because Benjamin apparently had been left at home because Jacob, 
has already lost the one son of Rachel. He didn't want to lose Rachel's other son, and so he must be protective of Benjamin. Uh, But Joseph says, um, this is all you get unless you come back with Benjamin. Well, they go through their food, and sure enough, they they need to come back for more. And and so back they come with Benjamin, and again, uh, they go through this ritual, not recognizing Joseph, but Joseph gives them food. And this time, uh, Joseph frames Benjamin. He puts, uh, he puts some things in his bag of grain, and then after they've gone, he sends an army after them to find it and, and have that person arrested so that he can hold them captive in Egypt. So again, if we're reading the story and we don't know what's going on, we may be wondering, maybe Joseph does have a plan to get even. And, and even though we know the end, it could be Joseph still had this plan to get even with his brothers. We don't really know. All we know is that he, he takes Benjamin captive and he's going to hold on to Benjamin and send the brothers back. And, and Judah says, no, 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 no. You can't do that to my father. You cannot do Take me instead. Hold, send Benjamin back, hold me here, I'll do whatever. And it's in this um, compassionate plea of Judah that Joseph breaks down and he begins to weep. And we're told he sends everybody else out of the room and he reveals himself to his brothers says, the one who you thought was dead is alive. I am Joseph. And of course, you can imagine if you're the brothers, it must be this this fear and trembling. Oh no, we're going to get what's coming to us. And yet, in the midst of chapter 45, um, we read this, this section where Joseph basically says to them, um, God has been at work in all of this. As, I, as he looks back on it, he begins to see where God has been at work, even to the point where he says, uh, God sent me here to preserve life. Uh, God allowed me to come here to preserve you. It is God who has helped me be in this position where I could help you and the world. And so um, he hugs his brothers. He sends them back to get Jacob. They all come to live in Egypt. Um, And they live there for a few years. And then one day, uh, uh, Jacob dies. And the brothers once again begin to worry. Well, maybe Joseph was just keeping us alive until until our father died. And so we read this in chapter 50, which I think um, helps us look at this story. In chapter 50, beginning in verse um, 15, we read these words from Joseph. This is after um, his father has died and his brothers come to him. And it says, when Joseph's brother realized that their father was now dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and wants to pay us back seriously, seriously for all the terrible things we did to him? So they approached Joseph and they said, you know, father gave orders before he died, telling us, this is what you should say to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's sins and misdeeds, for they did terrible things to you. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
his brothers wept too and fell down in front of him and said, we're here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I God? You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it. In order to save the lives of many people, just as he's doing today. Now, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And so he put them at ease and spoke reassuringly to them. What a wonderful story. A Joseph, in looking back at what had happened, he says, I understand you devised evil for me, but God brought good out of it. And now I think often we, we want to take this story and break it down and, and try to uh, do explanations of it. Um, but I think we need to hear the story. I don't think in the story that Joseph is saying, oh, I understand that, that, that God told you or made you to sell me into slavery. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. But I think what he is saying is even though they devised this evil, God was, was working in mysterious ways. I mean, I don't know about you, but in my own life, even in this story, if I look back and I say, what if? What if Simeon hadn't paid attention to the nudge of God that maybe said, throw him in a pit instead of kill him? What if Judah hadn't paid attention to the nudge of God that said, instead of let him rot there, put him in a caravan? What if? What if Joseph, instead of listening to the nudges of God and understanding what it meant to leave a godly, live a godly life, decided to say, oh, what the heck? Um, I'll entertain Potiphar's wives. What if? Potiphar just decided, what if, what if, what if? I, I just go through the story. And I say, what if, not to, not to wonder what might have happened, but just to say, look at the mysterious way in which God works in the everyday lives of people. In and through the good and the bad, God is at work. Even though we may not see it, we may not hear voices and words from God, God is at work in all circumstances and all situations. And so I don't know about you, but as I hear this story, especially in the midst of the world where we live today, uh, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt from, from this story and from what I have experienced, God is at work in the world. He is at work in our lives, in our communities, whether we can see it or not. Sometimes we respond to nudges, and we don't even know that it's God nudging us and urging us to do certain things. The other thing I love about this story is it means when I screw up, when I participate in the brokenness of the world, when I look more like Joseph's brothers than like Joseph, I can't screw things up so bad that God can't bring good out of it. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news because I screw up a lot. Just ask Deb. Well, no, don't. And so that's good news to me. It's good news to me that even in my, uh, uh, my sins and my brokenness, uh, that, uh, that God can work with it and create new possibilities. 
It's all so wonderful to know that in the midst of every circumstance, if I can't see God at work, it's because I'm not looking hard enough. God is at work bringing about His good purposes. The question is, will we continue to do that which we have called to do, to take the next faithful step in following and going and doing what God calls us to do? Sometimes it simply means just doing what we already know is the right thing to do because we know the stories of Jesus and and we know how Jesus calls us to live. Sometimes it means taking time to set aside and to listen and to see where God is leading us. But this story reminds us that God's providential work is always, always at work. Seeking to heal the brokenness. Seeking to set people who are held captive by their own lives to set them free. Seeking to create a world in which humanity might flourish. And in which, through God's people, all families of the earth might be blessed. May we hold firm to that promise this day. God is at work in your life, in the life of this church, in the life of the world. Let's go looking for where God is work and join with him in whatever great things he might be doing, even in the midst of the world today. Amen.